Hey, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is about Jordan Peele's Us, and our hosts have ranked this movie as scary. This episode contains descriptions of trauma, gore, racism, PTSD, body horror, and gaslighting. After the music, we'll talk about the movie in full, so expect spoilers. Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast for real horror to progressive standards that never agreed to. I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley. Tonight, we're talking about us. So first, we picked her up at the spooky crossroads of anime and sexy monster media. It's co-host and comics artist, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I have figured out where the cursed crossroads is in Santa Rosa, so you won't find me there, though. Only one in Santa Rosa? Are you sure? There, well, uh, there's one where the devil shows up. The other one are just lesser, lesser demons. Mm. All right. And uh, Ben has the night off, so right next to me, just to my left, English educator, editor, and my wife, Alicia Whitley. How are you tonight, Alicia? I'm doing great. Good. Fantastic. Ben usually has a joke there, but you're not Ben. And our guests tonight, first, they run the Diversity and Horror blog. It's Morgan. How are you tonight, Morgan? I'm doing great, Jeremy. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Uh, next, comics artist and friend of the podcast, Bree Indigo. How are you tonight, Bree? Oh, hi. Um, I'm great. Like, it's good to see faces after a long holiday of nothing. Yes, that time you spent in the void is well established. And finally, our friend and English educator, Emmanuel Lipscomb. How are you tonight, Emmanuel? Doing great. Super pumped to talk about this. Fantastic. IMDb says this movie is about a family's serene beach vacation which turns into chaos when their doppelgangers appear and begin to terrorize them, which is a pretty good uh, explanation of, of this movie, except for that it's incredibly deeper and there's so much more to dissect about it than that. And the one thing they do miss is that it starts with a, a young girl who is at this carnival with her family and wanders off into a uh, very strange Native American-themed tunnel of mirrors and finds her creepy doppelganger waiting there for her. And then we jump forward to the time of the movie in which she's returned to this place with her family, uh, her husband and her two children, and they run into their own doppelgangers. And it just gets uh, spookier from there. Was this everyone's first time watching Us, or had you seen it before? No, I'd, I'd seen yeah, it when it came out. out. Yeah, yeah I saw it just like that. Out this is one that I like saw in theaters. And immediately, like, bought on DVD and, like, watched it again. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I actually saw it as part of a Salem Horror Fest. Nice. Special, What's the Salem uh, Horror Fest? Oh, Salem Horror Fest. It is a progressive horror convention mm -hmm. where they screen a bunch of movies from new filmmakers. And they also mm -hmm. have events. It actually started the same year I got married. It's run by a queer trans woman, which is awesome. And she makes sure that they have, like, a lot of films by people of color by lgbtq people with disabilities so it's it's really cool that sounds yeah. awesome it is really check is. it out was this in uh massachusetts salem massachusetts nice. um you could also buy tickets to just stream the videos online so you don't yeah. even have to go if you like are worried about covid um which is what i did nice. um, so they just give you a weekend pass and watch all the movies uh emily did you say was this your first time watching us or had you seen this before no, I had I had seen us before. It's kind of a long story about the context of saw us, but it, I saw it when what it was brought uh, you to us. This is going to get really intense. My dad had just found out that he had colon cancer, and he just he had just talked to my whole family 
about how he didn't want to be put like on respirators and stuff. He later found out it was totally benign. He's got operation. He's he's good now. But that night he was like, I don't want to be on life support and I want you to understand. And like my mom and I were all crying and Brett was there and he's like, okay, I want to talk to you about finances, I guess. And then my dad's like, I want to watch us. And we're like, okay. Okay. Yeah. And he's like, I think it's a thriller. And I'm like, that is a horror movie. We were all kind of like reeling from that. And then we watched us and my dad's like, this isn't very fun. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a lot. I know. Yeah. And I was like, all right, but I love the movie. I loved it. Now I'm, I'm, it was actually more fun now to watch. I mean, it is not a very fun movie in terms of the yeah the content all across but i this is a fantastic masterpiece of a film yeah i i think the first thing i want to talk about i mean there's a lot of things to talk about this movie but the the lead character who plays both adelaide wilson the main character and red who's her doppelganger played by lupita nyong'o who gives an award-worthy performance here is amazing in both parts all of the people and their doppelgangers were fantastic. I thought it was really neat to see them switch roles like that. The actress who played Zora, Shahadi Wright Joseph, is one of my favorite podcast actresses because she plays Holiday in Six Minutes, which is a children's oh, yeah. podcast. So every time I heard her speaking in this movie, I was like, it's Holiday. That's the little girl from Six Minutes. And every time I listened to Six Minutes with the kids, I was like, Oh, girl's creepy. <laughs> yeah, so she. That little girl's got a creepy smile. <laughs> there, she's, she's amazing. Winston Duke, who plays Gabe and his doppelganger Abraham, has like, I had only before before watching this movie, I'd only seen him in Black Panther, where he has a very like distinct personality as a, a superhero character, and this he has such like dad energy. Absolutely, uh, I am here for both of those he's like super attractive in black yeah he's yeah yeah, shirt off frosted tips like cool and then he's just like in a full bed in short shorts trying to get some from his wife and it's awkward but he's working it i relate very strongly jeremy (laughs) Jeremy, and and he's like trying to get comfy and i was like is that what you feel like buddy and he was like (laughs) (laughs) that reminds me so much of my dad so like watching the movie i'm like yep that's my dad that's my dad is, is a dad is a real dad's dad. So shall we recap? Any big first impressions? I have some big points. I want to make sure that we hit one spiders two, 11, 11. Those are pretty much the big points that I wanted to hit. Rabbits. I just want to talk about oh, rabbits. Yes. Yep. From Buffy would be really into this movie. With the creep factor of bunnies, because as we all know, bunnies are very scary. I, I could also just spend an hour talking about Tim Heidecker's performance as his doppelganger. I feel like he's just tweeting oh about how like, uncomfortably sexy he is <laughs> in this movie. And it's just like he's carefully douchey, but also like, I guess it works for him. The, the fact that Tim Heidecker's like scary, his scary doppelganger is still a doofus and still doing his very like yeah over the top douchey white guy hand motions throughout the whole thing. But his doppelganger like, is a oh. more likable than he is. Yeah, yes. yeah. And I don't, I don't he doesn't talk. 
Well, the doppelganger <laughs> has more personality, honestly. More. Yeah. First impressions after it, it ended. I either overread into the movie or completely missed the point. That's how I feel right now. Like, I felt really, like, ashamed of myself after watching the movie. Because <laughs> I was rooting for someone... And then I was like, wow, I'm a really bad person. I mean, this really is just a whole situation about like empathizing with your quote unquote enemy and how there's no like bad and good and, and this and that. I was just like, I was really rooting for like the main character to die, but then I was rooting for her bad guy version to, to win. And I'm just terrible. Like, I don't know. That's how- <laughs> yeah, I feel like for me, that holds up on a rewatch because like, yeah. you yeah. see a lot of like Adelaide's like panic and like foreknowledge and you're just like, oh. Like, you know, so let's just go ahead and say what the yeah. spoiler is. So she's from the underground. She's Very actually good. one of like the tethered. You see like this, yeah. she knows it's a reckoning. She's like, oh, I fucked up. It's been so many years, but like, she's finally come to get me back. Like, I think I can understand feeling like I'm rooting for the wrong person, but I feel like that twist isn't a fair one because you don't notice it until you watch it the second time. Well, then when I watched it the second time, like the first time I watched it, obviously you're rooting for who you think is the original quote unquote and then when you rewatch it, you realize you're rooting for the quote unquote clone. And then you're just like, wow, I'm just as invested both ways. And I really don't want either one to suffer. Like right. you basically see the opposite story. And that's like really upsetting. because <laughs> no, it's like, do we have to give them cold rabbit? The, the main conceit of this movie, which underlines everything else, is that there are, as it says during the movie or during the opening, Miles and miles of tunnels underground in the U.S. So we don't know what some of them are for. Some of them are abandoned subway tunnels. Living under there is this whole civilization of people created for some science reason, which is not clear, who exactly mirror us in some way. So there's a version of everybody else down there. And we get to live a good life. Mm -hmm. And they are forced to deal with the consequences of our actions. And we don't have to think about them because we are happy and healthy and comfortable and concerned with whether or not we have wrinkles or or rosé. And well, (laughs) they are busy having to deal with the consequences of our actions. Well, we eat nice food. They eat cold, raw rabbit. They are mirroring the good times we're having while they are having miserable times. And what, like, like you said, the twist is that we find out that the Adelaide we've been following throughout the current section of it is actually the Adelaide from the underground. And in that initial scene, she switched places with her her other version and locked her down in the underground and became like took the place of this little girl. There, but for the grace of my strangled hands, go I. <laughs> well, I think Great what said is is really valid though, because if you look at the situation with perspective, both of those characters are incredibly traumatized. The original Adelaide is certainly traumatized by living the rest of her life in that underground. The initial Red, who becomes Adelaide, lived her first childhood in that underground. And you can see from that that all of the people in the other gra- underground have that possibility of becoming normal people if they yeah. just come up and, and live. Do they and, know? Because they talk about how Red is special. They knew that there was something different. So, so we start off with baby Adelaide. I say baby Adelaide, young Adelaide. And her parents, Brayden and Russell. And they are at a... Baby, Anna, Jap, and 
We'll yeah. talk about uh, later. Candyman. Like next week when we talk about Candyman. Oh, nice. So they're at the carnival or they're at the fair. They're yeah, at they're... the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. Okay, tell me more about specific. that. The I don't know Cruz... anything about the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, but it I was just like, like... You get beer at the fair. That's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... yeah. I just thought it was me. How where do you think? So like, it's it's like West Coast Coney Island, basically. Okay, exactly. That's what I was going to say. So yeah, so they're off the boardwalk, which is the West Coast Coney Island, which I just learned just now, and uh, the parents are clearly not having a great time together. There's definitely some tension there. And there's this cool thing that happens with the sound that you were pointing out when we were washing it together. The sound kind of fades out and young Adelaide is like looking around at all of the people screaming in joy. And it strikes me how similar horror and joys can sound um, mm-hmm. out of context because their screams definitely morph into like these, like, I don't know, without the context of ride sounds behind them just the scream sounds really horrifying mm-hmm. so she has like her little candy apple and she wins a thriller t-shirt and her mom's like she doesn't she's afraid of thriller why did you get her that t-shirt that's like i'm just trying to have fun like can we all you know they're having like weird arguments young Addie is like walking behind them and the mom says i have to go to the bathroom watch the kid and he's like i'm watching her does he watch her he does not Russell decides to play whack-a-mole instead. Sure, he's in the middle of playing whack-a-mole when she decides to walk up to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And he has already handed the man his tickets. They both get bronze stars. <laughs> <laughs> they're good, they're yes. both clearly more involved in the argument that they're having. I don't know. It's like they're trying to pretend to have a good time for Addie's sake. And it yeah. is not a good time for anyone involved. But Addie is doing her best. She's a good kid and she's going along with it until she looks out at, you know, the beach and there's a storm of brewing and she walks into the fun house and the fun house is the vision quest. It's got a fake Native American thing across the top and it's like, find yourself because that's what Americans need to find themselves is a vision quest from the Native American stereotypes. I love right? that we see this thing at two different times and in the yes. 80s when she's going there it is a Native American themed vision quest and when she comes back as an adult they have just painted Merlin over the Native American and it still says behind and there's still a totem pole out in front of it so it was oh, transformed but not really. They're like uh, we made less racist but we didn't. Right. We didn't really acknowledge it. I'm just going to pretend that that wasn't even there. So she drops the apple, candied apple in the sand and walks in. It starts raining. There's all these mirrors everywhere. And she starts whistling the itsy bitsy spider, which you're not supposed to whistle after dark. Did you know that? Yeah. Whistling after dark is bad luck. That's what one of my grandmothers used to always tell me. And when I looked up this scene that she's walking through, I looked up the narration. One of the stories that I read was I think it was a Hopi creation story that they're telling in there. Yes, and there was about a little spider note order. about whistling after dark and how it's bad luck to whistle at night because evil spirits will come find you when you whistle at night. And what is she whistling? She's whistling the itsy bitsy spider. What did the itsy bitsy spider do? Went up the water spout. Climbed up the water spout, but then down came the rain and washed the spider out. Did the spider quit trying? No, no, the spider crawled up again until finally the spider made it and the spider makes it this time. 
Spider. Spider. Okay, I would say, is she the spider in this area? I'm the... so confused. I'm so into this thesis. Please. Yeah. Oh my so god. But I'm so dumb. Spiders. So I looked up this creation tale. Like I had Jeremy rewind it a few times because I was like, I need to get like all of the lines about this. But basically, this story is about creation. There's the earth and the water, and the earth and the water were divided into places from which life could spring. And the goddess of the earth is a spider woman. What? Another spider. Hmm. Let's leave the symbolism that we've got here. But the spider woman is uh, representing wisdom and patience and endurance. And that is what I learned on my fourth watch through once because I've watched this movie a lot. That is cool. I got to work for this pod. I thought that that was just really interesting. And uh, also hearing the itsy bitsy spider in reverse is terrifying. And you can't quite figure out what it is. No, like I, I just have like a thing about like backmasking and like things played in reverse instantly like make my skin crawl. I hate it. like a, a core revulsion. And it's so like, just, it's like, there's zombies, no, I don't know why. It? Like yeah. it's, it's creepy every time. Like it's yeah, like seeing, it. <laughs> it's like that uncanny valley of hearing something that should be familiar and it's just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you hear song it, in a minor key. spider, and then you hear it in reverse as it's being mirrored back to her, and then we cut to the next scene. Well, we could do though that you mentioned whistling at night because there's indigenous cultures where you're not supposed to whistle at night. Exactly. There's actually there's actually a Native American horror anthology coming out called Never Whistle at Night. <gasps> apparently, that's also a thing in Korea. You're not supposed to whistle at night and supposed to follow you. I actually want to talk a little bit more about that scene where she goes in the funhouse because there's yes. interesting things that she passes by while she's going there. One of them is a guy holding up Jeremiah 1111. Yes. Uh, I verse. Actually, therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken on to them, which is foreshadowing. There's also a little bit foreshadowing with there's a couple playing rock paper scissors and they both keep getting scissors whoa wait a second i missed that yeah. i yeah, noticed the scissors cool. one yeah really like, stupid because i like i looked up the verse too and i was just like i, I didn't look it was up gonna be like a sam jackson ezekiel 25 25 thing where it's like this isn't a real verse it's ezekiel just 25 17 <laughs> no this is a real verse and i looked it up and it's right. basically about like you know bad stuff's about to happen and I'm like, oh, oh yeah. and the 11s are like mirroring <laughs> exactly oh, yes i was thinking like 11 11 someone's wish is about to come true yeah that's yeah well no, a couple of times with that first girl blue and the scissors are like and the scissors are like yeah yeah it's all sorts of weird mirroring and what she keeps calling coincidences in the movie there's yeah things that show up that seem unusual but then it happens a lot yeah things that always creep me out when they happen just in normal life that just there's just a lot of them back to back in this were you going to say more you wanted to say about that first scene? Oh, no, just that the mirror um, image agrees with the 1111 and then with the scissors, which, of course, we see later in the movie being used as a weapon. So it was just interesting that they kept doing Whoa, that. wait so a there. second. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my mind. A lot of, lot of foreshadowing about Scissors as a tool are actually two pieces that, like, you separate to use. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I didn't like a kill, kill. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Scissors always come in a pair. 
They're mirrored images. You can't yep. have a scissor. Uh, I mean, that's just a knife. Yeah. What scissor is tonight? Okay, so after this scene, we are sort of opening credits with a uh, scary fake foreign language and lots of bunnies and cages, which we'll find out later on is in the underground. It's a long shot. And the, the bunnies, some of the bunnies are copies, like basic, like photo doubles of each other, reversed. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And Jordan Peele actually said that rabbits like creep him out because he says their ears look like scissors. Oh, he's going to talk about their dead eyes. Which... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> for the fact they eat their own poop. The, and they're young. And there's a friends. reason for that. It's a it's a special kind of food called seagull. But yeah. Anyways, the yeah. actual quote is um, from Jordan Peele was, "They're an animal of duality. They're adorable, but they terrify me at the same time." And he's like, and they got those scissor like scissor like ears that creep me out. And I was like, that's interesting because the scissors are coming up again. Wow. But yeah, I mean, bunnies are interesting in this movie in a lot of ways because it's one of those things like you have you have one bunny, it's cute. You have enough bunnies at the plague. In this opening credit scene, we are literally down the rabbit hole in this because it's down underground where the rabbits are in this. This movie it, is rife with references. I mean, we've already yeah. talked about the little red the red theme. Red. So if this is a reference, that is a reference, and that is a reference. And this owl, and this is 1986, this yep. owl's got to be like a Twin Peaks thing because they're in like, um, the woods. And then also the... the Actually? Yes. In that myth that I was referencing earlier, apparently... Owls can sometimes be a symbol of death for various tribes. Yes. Um, yeah. Speaking of the the opening scene, we didn't mention the TV bit at the beginning where we see the the main character watching the TV as we are getting various '80s references, '80s shows, and particularly what will be important is the Hands Across America advertisement. Yeah. Well, Hands Across America was what happened when the Grinch stole Christmas, <laughs> and they, all they of thought the worst of Doctor Doris. Yeah. And they all join hands and so say, what's the purpose of Hands Across America? I know they were it was to raise money. money for like homelessness and for did it work? Yeah, yeah they, yeah, they raised no 15 million. Well, I mean, like, did it, you know, they raised 15 for... million dollars and okay. donated to a bunch of charities. And did people hold stuff. hands? Yeah, yeah, they did. And a bunch of celebrities participated, like um, Michael J. Fox and Michael Jackson. Did they sing like We Are the World or anything? Or I don't. I'm they, sure there was a, that was a Jason says something about we are the world. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I'm embarrassed for that age. I mean, yeah, it, it's very similar to a lot of stuff like that, where a bunch of celebrities get together and participate it's in some sort of stunt to raise money, yeah, like uh, live aid, yeah, that we then don't fix. Yeah. All I can think yeah. of is the uh, like the Jenner and Pepsi commercial. Yeah, no, and I'm just like, oh, it's it's like that's it's really yeah. amazing how that stuff did like bring people together in the most like surface level. And like when they do that kind of stuff today, like people just are like, get that crap out of my face. You need to do something, and yet yeah, thing happens. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's any of the COVID, right? right? That was the whole thing about the what is it? The celebrity singing Imagine. It's like, hey, yeah, yeah. Have a, pandemic they're dealing with this does nothing it, it's like know, know, you help. guys get to live in your own personal world so shut up <laughs> well like can you imagine they weren't even raising money at least like the hands across america would raise right. money yeah. that yeah. then got donated we hit the future we know it's the future because janelle monet is playing and she is so the future <laughs> she's not present she's like she's your future Addie says, <laughs> Addie tells Zora that she can do anything she sets her mind to, including like becoming an Olympian track star. 
And Zora says, can I drive the car? And she was like, no. And she was like, well, if I set my mind to it, I can't. Spoilers. Yep. Addie can drive the car, but (laughs) not Addie. Zora can drive the car. Yeah. Um, A little bit of a a Shaun of the Dead kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) Gabe says that he's made plans for them to go down to the beach with Josh, Kitty, and the girls. And pretty much no one looks excited about going to the beach with Josh, Kitty, and the girls. Because they're like literally the waves. And yeah, we also get the introduction of Gabe's boat that he has bought. Daddy. Nobody else wants it. It's named the Craw Daddy. Yeah, that barely works. But but before that, yes, Addie is laying on the couch when he's saying, like, we're, you know, let's get up, let's go do stuff. And she's looking at something. And do you remember what she's looking at? Looking at a spider and a spider. Yeah, a big fake spider and a little itsy bitsy spider comes crawling out from the big fake spider. It's another itsy bitsy spider. Also another mirroring. Yeah. We find out that her mom is dead. Yes. Her dad says, like, there's a flashback. Her dad says he's going out for a smoke and he tugs at her braids and, like, caresses her face and she stares at him with big eyes and does he ever come back i don't see we don't know anything else but yeah because they're that. in her mom's house and we see paintings of her and her mom i didn't see any sign no. of her dad being still there and we find out after the dramatic events of the first scene that she didn't talk for some time you know they had to go to a therapist to help her and the therapist recommended that she do other things that can help her express herself, like dance and paint and all these other things, just, which we'll see examples of throughout the movie. At the end, when they're like, oh, the dancing, it, it it's what exposed me. I'm just like, I'm too stupid to understand why this was the turning point. I'm just a dummy. I'm like, I don't get it. That's okay. They have like so many layers. I feel like I'm either over-interpreting it or just going over my head. Exactly. Yeah. I think what happened is that... Hold on. Well, yeah, to the sorry. dancing when we get to the dancing. Yeah, so the kids are off exploring, doing other things, and Jason, well, Zora is staring in the mirror, and you're like, oh no, it's a mirror. Oh no, something's about to happen, and something does. Rawr! Jason, her little brother, pops out of the thing. He's wearing his mask or whatever, and uh, he runs to his favorite closet to go hide, and he uses a little ambulance to prop the door open so he doesn't get trapped inside. And Zora, being the big sister that she is, kicks the ambulance out of the way so that he's closed in and he panics. So we learned that he's afraid of tiny and closed places. And then she's like, didn't that happen last year? Like, so she knows. Yeah, she knows all about it. It's like Chekhov's door. Like, Well, and we we, we see that the whole dynamic. I mean, like the second we see that, we're like, okay, that's going to, you know, this is, we, I, it said horror in the description. I know this is going to (laughs) happen. It'd be a thing. But one thing I really want to talk about briefly here is just the setting of this beach house. Gorgeous beach house. So it is it a lake is. house, not a beach house. Uh, yeah, it's well, it's a it's a yeah, it was yeah. a bayside <laughs> mid-century. That's exactly, that's exactly what she says. And he says, no, like with sand and people and stuff on it. <laughs> yeah, well, this is this is a, a bayside shore. shoreline. I don't know. <laughs> it's a shoreline house. house. A vacation home that has the precise slightly unsettling for me at least mid-century california like almost trying to be tiki but not quite kind of decor with a lot of the the wood paneling and the wicker everything the wicker fucking desk with the wicker (laughs) drawers 
And that, I mean, tell us more how upsetting this setting is. <laughs> well, I guess it's because the real I, the house. this house has like a, an essence to it gotcha. that I've, I visited places like this when I was little. And for whatever reason, it was always kind of weird. And maybe it's because I, I was just that young, but it always felt, I think it's because when you have places by the ocean, it gets really moldy <laughs> and you, you start feeling like the, the thickness of the air. I don't know. I'm now I'm just going into it, but <laughs> obviously I love peeking into your head and how you yep. felt about it. It makes it more real, you know, I just, I, I, I think it's apparently, I think it's interesting to note because we'll see the uh, other family's house, which is on this same lake later on. And it is clear that the house that they are in is her mother's house. It is an older house that was built before this was desirable property. So Adelaide's, family is in a older house that is her mother's house that is a, a bit old it's a bit worn down it's it was nice at the time it was built probably but it's nice the, but the other family is living in this like two-story super modern you know floor-to-ceiling windows they're, they're, they're uh, they've got an Ophelia like right yeah no. he says we have to be out by 10 a.m I think yeah, he's probably like, just saying, like, we asked to get a schedule. Because I thought about that, too. I was just like, yeah, hey, I thought it was like an Airbnb. Because he was like, hey, right. be out of here by You know, but it could be because, you know, people always like to want money that they don't have and stuff, you know? Yeah. 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 Like, my family does have, like, a timeshare beach house where there was a movie actually filmed there. And it was creepy. And it had to do with weird identity stuff. But before this movie came out, it was different. Well, so my point is that their house is like an older, you know, original settling of this area house. Our, our groups is, and, you know, the other family, the white family has like a really ostentatious, new money kind of, you know, stupid house. Yeah. That they've got a flat on the other TV. shore of the lake. Yeah. Bay. It definitely feels like an eyesore. I know it's supposed to be modern and stuff, but when I look at it, I'm just like, this doesn't belong, dude. Like, what's going on? This is not the kind of house you build out here, you know? The, I, the, I think sort of endemic of the, like, the rot that is in that family to begin with. Yeah. is like, yeah. this, you know, our, our main family, like, they kind of argue back and forth, but, like, they like each other. Yeah. And yeah. you can tell that they care about each other. And this family, like, Tim Heidecker and Elizabeth Moss and their kids like clearly all hate each other. They're all awful yeah. people. Yeah, we don't learn that until we get to the beach where we meet them. Yes. So we meet them at the beach, Josh and Kitty and the girls. And before they get to the beach, they discover that Eleven Eleven is dead. He's being loaded up to an, an ambulance, and he's old, and he still has the same sign that he wrote that says Jeremiah Eleven Eleven. I couldn't see what was going on with his chest, but it looked like he had been like sliced or slashed or stabbed with a scissor. Because then we see the guy on the beach. I don't know if he was scissored. Yeah, he was probably. We see his doppelganger on the beach later, and yeah, I mean, standing in line. He was murked, man. Yeah, he was killed. He was was stabbed with scissors. Yeah, the son finds a man standing, looking at the sun with his arm dripping in blood. Uh, okay, so you're just going to skip all of the meeting the family and how much they hate each other and how much they drink at first? Rewind that. All right, at the beach. Okay, so we're at the <laughs> beach. And they're with this other family. They're obnoxious and they're awful. And they do this thing where they drink a lot and they keep trying to get them to drink. They're like, oh, Gabe, you want something to drink? And he's like, no, I'm good. 
oh, I'm drinking rosé. Oh, it's your third one. You know, it's it's like that thing where people try to encourage you to drink, but then they also make fun of the people who are drinking. It's just uncomfortable. Yeah, they all, all this family has one horrible trait. And, you know, the, the Tim Heidecker character, uh, what's his name? The Josh. 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 Like, Josh is constantly like bragging about the things that he has and sort of picking on, you know, this, this other character for like, like having sort of a slightly, you know, downgraded version of the thing and Gabe not really knowing how to lose it. Gabe is trying. And Josh is like, oh, you don't have a flare gun on your, your boat? Oh, of course you, of course you do. What, what, interesting, what's interesting about the families is that, like, you know, we've only seen, like, the main character's family, Adelaide's family, and it seems like, you, like you'd said, like, you know, they they get at each other, but they love each other. And it really shows the moment because you just have this other family that kind of wants to bring them down to their level so that they can be, like, misery loves company. Right. And, you know, like, even when the the wife, like, she, like, insults Adelaide for being, like, so beautiful without having to try it's just like well i mean you know you can't pretty you can't like yeah it's just like everything about them is like they're the jealous ones but they want to pull out the jealousy and the bad parts of other people there's like even white people in this movie like i like (laughs) no seriously like there's if you look at get out there's no one that's redeemable if you look at this movie the only other family that has like speaking parts is awful and then every other white person we see is dead and so jordan peele's just like yeah, it's not. There just aren't going to be any. Sorry. <laughs> She's also vaguely racist because we see her reading the magazine and there's a picture of a woman in a headdress, like a white yeah. woman in a Native American headdress. And she's like, oh, this is so beautiful. And I'll, yeah. No, it isn't. What do you think? And yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. is this us? But anyway, she talks about how she went to Stella Adler and she had some work done. And then it's like a Frisbee zooms by and it's like a red circle like Frisbee and it lands perfectly on the blue circle. And it's like a perfect inversion when she picks it up. And and Addie is like freaked out. She's like, all right, that's it. You know, I'm freaked out. Where's my kid? Oh, Jason's missing. And Jason, it turns out, has gone to the restroom where he sees a man with bloody hands just standing there with his hands out and i was staring at the sun as if he's never seen it before i was like who is the scarecrow man with blood dripping off of him but i didn't realize it was jeremiah 11 11's uh yeah very one thing i also like about the beach scene is how like the twins try to bring out the worst in like the older sister and then she's like y'all leave him alone he's a child (laughs) you know they're like your brother's weird and he's like she's like yeah i guess i mean he's just different they really don't want us to feel bad about the fact that we're about to see a couple of teenagers get stabbed to death in a little bit (laughs) they're obnoxious moment one like i was just like stop they're obnoxious but i do feel bad they died and they were also they were were twins and they're talking in unison so um, automatically we have like the shining covered which is and and the mirror images there you go yeah okay so adelaide is like panicked jason comes back and he's like hey calm down girl you're hurting me so they leave they go home and she's putting the kids in bed which this is the part that i found not very like convincing she's like hey zora oh no zora has her headphones still on and clearly slides into bed holding her phone and i was like what do you think is turning off their phone like what she's probably beyond caring at this point she's like whatever you know i want zora to know that i am still anti-phone but i also 
know that I don't really have a lot of control over that. Yeah. So I'm just going to let, you know, it, it was an interaction. An that I thought was made. Yeah. An was made. Speaking uh, of attempts made, I want to mention quickly at this point in the film, we have had a couple of moments where Addie has asserted that she does not want to go to the beach. That has been met with resistance by Gabe. Gabe is, is very, I, I don't want to say forceful, but he, he kind of uses some manipulation tactics like, well, Jason really wanted to see the beach. Don't you care about your children? And to be fair, Adelaide is not saying why she doesn't want to go to the beach. Yeah. She's just like, yeah. uh, I don't want to go. To be objecting. So it's 11, 11, way past bedtime, bedtime for me. <laughs> and for Jason. Well, yeah, Jason's bedtime for Jason. I was like, oh, are you kidding? And she like goes and puts the mask in a drawer next to this creepy faceless clown lamp, which was so creepy and faceless and clowny. Why is that in a children's bedroom? But okay. We talking about Jason's drawing. So, yes. Okay, so this is the first time I thought it was Jason's drawing. And I was like, Jason drew the back of his own head at this guy. But when she was like, what's this? He really shrugged like he didn't. He wasn't like, oh, I just drew a picture. I don't know. Was did somebody else draw that? It is kind of weird though that he would draw it from the perspective yeah, of behind him. Yeah, like, that's kind of yeah. weird. He's so like you know, I think this is well. He doesn't see him from the front. He only sees him from behind. No, Jason draws, he draws the back, he back, of, his back, of, back. Oh, oh, the the back of his head. Oh, the back of his head. Looking. I, I mean, I would do something like that as a kid. It's like I can't draw hands. Everybody's just gonna have their hands in their pockets. So like, right? maybe you just <laughs> yeah, but you can draw the back of your head. If like I mean, some faces in the picture that he was looking at this thing, and this wasn't just a random thing. Now, I I I, I chalk this up to kids are creepy, which is just okay. Like, they are. No, I don't think there's anything deeper about that. I think like, it's weird. <laughs> and parents are like, oh my God, this kid's possessed. And I'm like, I get this weirder shit not every day. I just assumed he was mimicking like the guy you saw on the beach and he was drawing himself as like, the guy. Yeah. There's, I mean, kids. I think he just drew what he saw, but I just think the perspective or the, the point of view was weird. One of the, yeah, that's know. like the only detail we get about him drawing. It's the only thing we yeah. get about him being I, any yeah. kind of, it's, he did right. color work. Like you like spend like, some time with draw or anything. Yeah. But you know who is an artist? Rain was an artist. Ad Adelaide's mom. Yes. What if it's the real Adelaide doing some of that art? Dropping it off just to be like, I was following your kid. Yeah. Oh, I saw yeah. him looking at uh, that kid, yeah. <laughs> old like old drawings and her all of her old shit oh my god yeah yeah that's a lot of like things that her mom has done in this place of you know like her and her and her mom and things like that a big thing of them like flexing on the wall that yeah that's really cool i'm sorry but that's my favorite theory of that scene like because i was just like why that perspective that makes sense i mean i just love creepy kids drawings in horror movies and general like baba dude it rules i just that stuff is such a great payoff of just to give you the creepy crawlies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Annie wants to go. She begs Gabe to leave. She, first she says, well, I just don't feel like myself. And then finally she's like, it's because there are mirror people. So we have to go. I had asked uh, my wife, I was like, why do you think she even like, you know, told him the truth, right? Because she straight up just exposes, there's there's mirror people on her yeah. beach and stuff like that. And I was like, why would she tell him that? And I was like, man, she must be desperate to not interact with red desperate yeah yeah so, i mean when you've had an asshole but your name 
interesting. <laughs> 20 years. Like, I think it's understandable. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. She knew it was coming. The first time I watched that, I was just like, oh man, she really just traumatized. And the second time I was like, oh my gosh, she knows she got that ass whooping. Yes. <laughs> she knows it's coming, but it's already too late because. Okay. The son shows up at the door and he's like, there's a family, family in our driveway. driveway. I oh. teach this scene when I'm teaching horror and scary stories before we talk about Edgar Allan Poe or we talk about like the most dangerous game. I showed just the scene of him saying there's a family in our driveway up until the family skitters off in different directions. Because, and then I'm like asking my students, what is it that makes this scene work so well? It's so creepy. Yeah. That it's not just one person, that it's, you know, four of them standing there holding hands and mm -hmm. uh, they don't say anything. They don't move. I love this bit, this bit of acting from Winston Duke. Where he's like, no, I'm, I'm going to handle this. And he walks outside and he yells at him. And he's like, you need to get out. He's like, you know, uh, what, what are you guys That's doing? Crazy. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. He's like, what yeah. are you guys doing? What's up? What's, uh, something I can do for you? And they don't respond. And he walks back in and gets the bat. Right after that, when they like come through the door, his voice like cracks. And yeah. Yeah. Like, the three voices of game. <laughs> he's just doing the best he can. He important. Like he intentionally puts his voice down an octave. Cops are on their way. Yeah. <laughs> because I will break your head. Like, yeah. And he's, he's trying to be suddenly... a scary black man, but he's yeah. like, all intimidating. So it doesn't really work. He goes, you need to call the cops. And she's like, I already did. <laughs> I already did. She's like, I'm not playing. I already know we're in a horror movie. Yeah. Cause like, yeah. I look at he turns to like... his wife immediately for help. Like, she calls the cops and she's like, 15 minutes in the student. He's like, I'll handle this. He walks outside and then comes back in after this. And he's like, it's like, you need to call the cops. She's like, they're 14 minutes away. And he's like, no, that's not soon enough. That's Adelaide is not playing. She says to Zora, I don't know if you call it. She goes, put your shoes on. Like, you know, make sure that everything is closed and locked and, you know, get away from the windows. Somebody's whistling the It's a Busy Spider and walks right up to the hidden key. Yeah, the hide a key. Oh, yeah. a little hide you mean the white people shit? I think. Yeah. <laughs> what in the white it's not even like amongst the stones it's like that's, that's what you're supposed to do with the hide a key is, is actually hide the hide a key so people <laughs> yeah. walk up and go this looks like a hide a key but i think like that moment now that i think about it should have really told me this is the real adelaide because how would red like the original red know that without having been up there do you know what i mean like how do you just yeah. know that like you've lived underground you've never seen a freaking key hide and rack before <laughs> maybe she thought it was a rock she could throw to break the window and then and then she picked it up truly like, even better she falls out yeah it was better. she was just picking up key hiding bunnies on her end she didn't know <laughs> <laughs> uh, this bunny is so solid it doesn't squirm <laughs> what a wait, great little bunny the hide a key and a bunny no but on um, her end no. you know, you know, Everything is funny. Adelaide her. is picking up the rock on their end. She's picking up a bunny. I see it. I see Taking a key out. So uh, the family gets in and Adigail's uh, doppelganger, her tethered doppelganger is red. Gabriel is Abraham. Adelaide is the dog, the name of your sister's cat, not the name of this character. It is neat. Her name is Adelaide. No, you you said Adigail. Oh. <laughs> Adigail is the name of your sister's cat. I mean, she's doing a good uh, job. Add a girl. Adelaide's doppelganger is red. Yes. Gabriel's doppelganger is Abraham. Zora's doppelganger is Umbra. Yes. And 
Jason the doppelganger is Pluto. Pluto. So good. Yeah. Yeah. It's the god of the underworld. So interestingly, Brie, you were talking about earlier, like with the dancing thing, and that's how she realized she was special. She is completely untethered from Adelaide, but the guys are not yet because we see Gabe try to focus and like, you know, push up his glasses. And then Abraham also tries to focus and push up non-existent glasses. So the glasses from him yeah like uh, like what is this you know i'm you know i've been doing all this i've been doing all this time she's special because she is not being controlled no i understand that but what i'm trying to say is that like okay so so red is the original girl we're like i'm just gonna stay yeah you know with those names so it's like obviously red is special she's the surface girl but like they never really clarify if they're fully like so they're fully untethered because Adelaide is the one that like made sure that it was like done. She's the one that is like teaching them how to untether. Yeah. But how does Red know that when she's not the one that untethers so in the first I place? Think that scene where they're dancing, what happens is that she finds that she can control things. Like she manages oh. to take some control back during that dance. And I think that's what made her like super special is that she started doing her own dance. We learned that Adelaide, Adelaide says later, or Red, I guess, says later that Adelaide was born special, you know, that she is able to, she, she knows that this is going on somehow and, you know, is able to Mm -hmm. climb up there and swap out. Yeah. So they say, are you? And Red says, we are Americans, which is. Loaded. Yes. Oh, yeah. Loaded. You know, they're us, like U.S., they are us. Well, it's also interesting, the names kind of are reflective of their doppelgangers. Like um, Umbra, for example, means shadow. Mm -hmm. And I've actually looked this up. Zora's name means sunrise. And then, of course, like Gabriel, his doppelganger is Abraham, which are both biblical names. And then Jason and Pluto, all the names from like Greek mythology. Gabriel, Gabriel is the angel messenger right and abraham is the one who's receiving the message so there's that there's more to it i'm sure i'm not really up on i i know about goetic demons and not all that bullshit but like i don't uh bible all the doppelgangers have their own names too if you look at the credits it's kind of it's really interesting and then the other thing about the addy red dichotomy is that they still have a connection they know what the other or or Red knows what she's doing, but she does have a will of her own. So they're not just mirrors of each other. Right. But they but they are two bodies with one soul, which is an interesting concept that they, is only really mentioned once during the, the exposition. So Rain is Adelaide's mother. And I believe that her tethered's name is Eartha. And when we started the story, it was like in the beginning were earth and water Mm -hmm. and they were divided and life came from both of them. So I was like wondering if like rain and earth like are supposed to mirror earth and waters. I've I've heard the name Adelaide was in over the garden wall where she was a spider woman with magic scissors. Adelaide, Adelaide was the spider woman. 
How did I miss another Spider Woman? I'm looking up the name Adelaide. It means name. the noble kind or noble type. Huh. So, I mean, she is a leader in Australia. Team, like, you know, in some way, or I guess she's tethered to Red, who was the became the leader of the underground people. Yeah. I, I was saying, is Adelaide a city in Australia? Yes, it is, with a lot of spiders in with it. With a lot of spiders! <laughs> I hate this. You saw where I was going with that, Morgan. Thank you. <laughs> they all run off to go play together. Abraham drags Gabe out by his hurt knee to the boat, to the crawdaddy boat. The boys go off to go play with fire in a closet. And uh, Zora and Umbra go for a run. <laughs> in which an innocent bystander gets killed after... Uh, trying to confront Umbra, who's standing out of his car. We also noticed that Red wears one glove and a cool tracksuit. Very Michael Jackson of them. Go back to the, you know, Thriller t-shirt that she was wearing. Of course, we all know what happens at the end of Thriller, right? Yes. Yeah. At the end of Thriller, Michael turns around. Oh, have you never seen Thriller? I've seen it. I just don't. Okay, so at the very end of Thriller, so Michael is like... They escape the monsters. They escape the monsters, and at the very end of Thriller, Michael turns around, and then his eyes flash like, you know, cat, and he's Just the monster, and it's like, ah, ha, ha, and Bryce laughing in the background. <laughs> so, like, we've got this Thriller t-shirt, so it's like, wow. another hint, who is the monster all along? It's the person that you thought was the good guy. You've been fooled. But wow, it's been telling us the whole time, and I'm just too dumb to get it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that Red finds that stuffed bunny that we assume uh, on second watch. Now we know that that probably used to be her stuffed bunny, and she cuts its head off. She's like, fuck that bunny. So, yeah, so they're out in the boat. Gabe escapes from Abraham by throwing him into the water and then falling into the water himself, which is the most Gabe thing that. <laughs> he makes it back onto the boat. Abraham comes to attack him. And what does he what does he use to he hits his, he bangs his head against that's the, what it, he bangs the motor. his head against the motor to get the motor up. to start up again and Abraham is Ooh. dead. But before he bites that Abraham does shriek out into the night. He yells out and we hear some shrieks yelling back to him. And so we know that this great reckoning is happening everywhere, that it's not just this one family. And then Gabe gets blood all over his Howard sweatshirt. <laughs> and he does not look happy about Abraham's death, quite frankly. He just, I can't tell if it's the pain from his knee or if at some level he's like, man, I kind of feel bad that this guy got. No, but we all bad because it. later they're they're counting deaths. He's like, that's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I killed me and, and Josh. And then I killed Josh. You don't feel bad. Yeah, Jason finally gets his his trick lighter to to light just in time to scare Pluto a little bit enough that he can escape the closet and lock Pluto in there, which distracts Red long enough for Adelaide to escape. And they all end up running off to the, the boat, daddy. yeah, to the crawdaddy, which they use to escape across the the bay or lake or whatever it is to to the other folks' house, Josh and Kitty's house, to the Tyler's house. Yeah, really? Yeah. It's like the whitest name. (laughs) Kitty's like, can you like check outside? And Josh is like, I'm actually really comfy cozy and I don't want to get up and check outside. I'm super busy still drinking. Yeah. And he's busy drinking in a bathrobe in a fucking lazy boy chair in front of the fire slash flat screen TV over the mantle. The the 
the mirror of these two families, you know, like, yeah, the little boy says there's a family in our driveway and Gabe immediately jumps into action to go protect yeah. his family. And she goes, I think I heard something outside. He's like, mm. I'm cozy. A pizza boy that girls might have called. <laughs> and I was like, it's one o'clock in the morning. Why are your kids calling for pizza and you don't know about it? If my kids were up in the in the middle of the night and ordering pizza, they better get me some. Yes. And then when the doppelgangers do show up, Josh's reaction is to, so Josh is downstairs. He's looking up at the balcony at the girls and talking to his wife who has joined him downstairs. He's looking up at the balcony at the girls, listening to the Which is also terrifying. And the doppelgangers show up and he goes, hello? (laughs) Wait, no, we have to talk about what he says when he, he, he goes out and tries to look and he's like, I don't know, I see trees and the stars. Oh, wait. Oh, wait, I see someone by the car. And then Kitty's like, can you stop being an asshole? And he's like, no, seriously, I see someone by the car. And she's like, where, where? And he's like, it's OJ. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I'm like, <laughs> he is such a dude. There's like it's levels one line of him saying it's OJ out there. But I like that we see that asshole is his doppelganger. Like, Yes, later. Yes, his They stab everyone. Kitty is still alive. She's dragging herself over to Bad Josh, and she puts her hand on his little sandal that looks exactly like the sandals that Addie was wearing the night she had got got. And she's like, "Please." no he reaches his hand down she reaches her hand up and then he like swipes it on his hair like swipes it away like fake out pull hand away like god like too slow so in that and And then ophelia in a cruel twist kitty begs for ophelia she's like ophelia is the the alexa yes yeah the police and it's like now play sure now playing fuck the police and they kill her. They drag Addie into the house before she can even figure out yes, what's going on. Yes, but and then the bad job she waves out. Yeah, and he waves. He like you know swats his hand at the house like ah oh, those girls being crazy as usual. Well, it's just us guys, but of course he can't speak, so it's just like rah, rah, rah. yeah, and it just kind of grunts. <laughs> it's so great. It's so. Good. Yeah, um, he sounds like the zombies from Amazing. <laughs> I wonder if Josh is the kind of guy that would say the N word because he listens to NWA. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, because it's in the yeah. song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the yeah. Yeah. Of the yeah. Yes, you would absolutely do that. The Wilsons come over, try and get some help, and they discover that, oh, the doppelgangers have taken over. Well, yeah, they The Last of Us. Like the <laughs> said that we were watching. She's like, they sound like zombies. Or, yeah, or like the zombies from Shaun of the Dead, where they're singing and the zombies like singing back <laughs> to them. And just <laughs> we'll get into the analysis when we do. But Tex, who is the which is the name of Josh's doppelganger? Yeah. Oh, is his name Tex? The, the subtitles just said Bad Josh, and I didn't. Yeah, Bad Josh. Yeah, Bad Josh, because all of the, the better Josh. <laughs> I just like the better. <laughs> Slightly different yeah. Josh. He doesn't talk. Texan so. doll. Kitty's name is and her doppelganger is Dahlia. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dahlia. Like, oh, that's grim. That's yeah. Grim. Yeah. The yeah. The base. The yeah. 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 Because oh. that's 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 what happens here. Gabe leads leads Bad Josh away to the boat so that the you know save the kids. 
he falls backwards into the boat and Josh follows him. The kids uh, make their way into the house to try and save mom. They do great. Really? Yeah, the, the okay. kids go in and uh, murder the twins. Yes. Yeah. Which is fascinating because Nix is the knight and then Io yep. is. Yeah, the cow. Yeah. Also, it's a moth. Oh. It's called Io moth. The ones with the big rings on their wings. Io moths. Cool. Are they related to the cow? I mean, if you think about how we're all related to the cow. Related. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got you. I got you. So, so the first twin flips in to try and attack them. Zora clocks her across the head with the with a golf club and she continues to flip right off the balcony. On you. Yeah. On, into the, the table below. Oh. We also see that that exact like shot from The Shining of the two twins, the non-underground twins, dead, and they're in the exact same position as the two girls in The Shining in the hallway. Oh, nice. Yeah. I didn't hmm. even notice that. Yeah. And a, a lot of this sequence where the kids are fighting the, the evil twins, it's a lot of Stanley Kubrick-esque blocking and the steady cam and you know, steady, steady cam with a lot of motion. Like you see Zora killing one of them with the the golf club and the camera kind of follows her a little bit as she moves backward and forward as she's yeah. like, just like with a Jack and the ax and a lot of symmetry. So this, this whole sequence is, is really interesting to me in terms of just the Kubrickian-ness of it. Oh, wow. Thank you for your eye. Oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, that's, that's the things when I first watched this movie, I was just seeing all these references at me, but I didn't know the plot or anything. So I'm just kind of following the plot, but I don't know, maybe there's something wrong with my brain, but like it's an artistic eye, dude. Oh, yeah. I feel like watching this movie about- for the first time is just like getting hit with a fire hose. Especially I know also with Jordan Peele, I know how much he loves horror and how, yeah. how referential. And it was interesting that this movie was so referential. Get Out was definitely its own thing, you know, but this movie started in with known horror vocabulary which i think was really interesting because of the way that it is essentially like the family survival slasher that has never before featured a black family in this way so it's the fact that it starts in with all of these familiar tropes and all that kind of stuff i thought was really interesting because it is part of that presentation that subverts the known tropes the known ideas yeah by just changing, you know, maybe one anchoring element, which is the characters and making that point in and of itself that, you know, where have all these movies been until now, the year of our Adelaide 2019, that feature characters that are not white, that have all these tropes. It's kind of a meta parallel. (laughs) Whoa! Yeah. By the way, I, I looked up Adelaide spiders and the, the thing that came up, what kind of spiders are in Adelaide? The first spider on this list is the red back. <gasps> there you go! Oh, oh, I wasn't wondering, like, where did red come in? Mind blown. So, meanwhile, so... Well, Zora beats the piss out of the other twin. Yes, <laughs> yes. The twins get beat up and they make it to the bedroom where their mom is being held by Doppel Kitty uh, Dahlia. And Dahlia is putting on lipstick and trying to look really pretty. And though she wipes the other thing that Kitty does to look pretty and takes her pair of scissors to her face and starts cutting. And she threatens to cut Annie's face and then is like, nope, can't do it or don't want to do it. I'm saving these cuts for me. So is that like a tethered rule? That's what I was wondering. Like, you can't hurt the. other tethereds she was doing it because remember when kitty said on the beach how she had some work done on her face Mm -hmm. 
I think she was replicating that because probably when Kitty had the surgery done, Adelaide did the surgery on herself, like in Underworld. Well, Dahlia did the surgery yeah. on herself. Dahlia did the Dahlia did the surgery on herself. Right. But they killed everyone else, but they did not kill Addie. She had her tied up in the bedroom. Red wants her alive to suffer. I think I, it, it could I think be a part of the plan. Thing. I yeah. think the tethered can only go after their own tethered because I think you No, joined... because because what's her name? She killed that dude that came at her because of the car. I think it's yeah, because that's true. That's, that's true. The way I read that scene, and this may not be the reading that, you know, we're intended to to come back with, but the way that I read that was that when Dahlia was threatening Adelaide, the same thing occurred to her where she had that crisis of of image when the kitty had earlier where she was looking at, you know, these cheekbones or something and being like, God, Ugh. and then she needed to do something about it right then, which was mm-hmm. work yeah. on herself. She looks out the yeah. window and sees Tex being murdered and she yeah, looks so like she's crying. Emily did want to talk about, about Tex's boat. So... Tex and Josh, we know that they are two sides of the same coin, just as all of these doppelgangers are. So I think they're basically the same person. So I believe that Tex would, did he, would he have come, you know, swap places with Josh the way Addy and, and Red have? Tex also would definitely named his boat the B Yacht. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, that, that is, <laughs> that is what, what Josh names it. I think that, you know, he would probably name it. But, you know. <laughs> well, that would translate to be yacht. Yeah. <laughs> can we talk about like the voices for a second? When Warren Red talked, she based it on spasmodic dysphonia, which has the like tight strain kind of quality. I kind of found that problematic. She was mimicking a known disorder to make it seem horrific. Oh, well, I, what I, I was kind of confused as to why she talked like that, but then at the end where they, where they reveal that, you know, the swap, she strangles her and probably damages her voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, I, mean, I think that, that was an actual Yeah, that would, that would benefit our Adelaide, the switched out Adelaide to have this, you know, person not be able to talk, you know, and she yeah. has strangled her specifically, which can damage your, your esophagus and your but there are other voice. ways to convey that than specifically and the actress the even said she she specific, yeah the actress right. said she specifically based it on this disorder when she's trying to do the voice yeah. so she thought it sounded creepy yeah i'm certain the actress was not trying to be problematic yeah she was trying to find a, a reference a real reference for something i do understand the problematic quality of this because it's it's played to sound creepy. You know, if she added to that, like if she said, well, I listened to this and to that and to that and to that, and then brought those together and and mm-hmm. and created like an amalgam of various kinds of voices. Yeah. I think that would be less problematic than if she was like, I went to this very specific source with this. Yeah. Well, and- like if she had just done like a strained voice, yeah. that would be one thing. But she also does the pauses that are like common in this. And so she was... She didn't have to really be doing that. Is that condition something that you're born with or does it develop? Like, it, is it a sign of trauma either mentally or physically? I believe it's something that you're born with because it's neurological. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it causes your 
vocal cords to spasm, but I don't know that much about the disorder. But yeah, it is a, a neurological disorder. And yeah, right. it just like bugged me that she was taking an actual disorder and trying to make it seem creepy. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's, it's I mean, not, I, it's just a disorder. Yeah, I think it's a, a fine line, right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. obviously like if a character is written as having, you know, a, a disability or a disorder or an injury that you don't have, I think mm-hmm. it is is good to do research so that you can replicate that in a realistic way. But also, if you are using it solely with the intent of being creepy, that's not. Yeah, that's not the best thing. And I think in this case, the scenario is where those two things kind of line up. Where it's like, yeah, right. You know, they they do have this condition, but also, yeah, it's questionable. I mean, you one can also research voice patterns from people who have had trauma to the throat. I think I understand though, Morgan, how you're saying like, because she said specifically, this is where I got the inspiration yeah. from. That's what yeah. makes it, cause like, um, so you don't have to tell nobody that. You could have just said you did research, girl. Like, yeah. <laughs> you just want to make it sound like someone who hasn't talked in like 30 years. Or yeah. actually developed like a speech pattern disorder from trauma and also physical trauma from being strangled. Like, yeah. For real. You, yeah. That, there you go. <laughs> Dahlia cuts her face up and is it Zora that comes in? Yeah, Zora comes in to try and uh, club her with the golf club. And Dahlia looks at Addie and she's like, I'm going to stab her in the head with the shears. And she just pointedly stares at her. And uh, Jason runs in and hits her over the back of the head with a geo. I guess they just have on display as a as a piece in the house. Yeah, uh, so he hits her at a rich piece something from the under. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, like how much white women love crystals. I mean, I do have geodes, but they're like on old plate holders. Sure, sure. (laughs) Sure. Whatever helps you sleep. Right. (laughs) So they run out. Adelaide gets the keys off of Donia's dead body. They They don't have the car key on them. She has to go back in to get that and has to re-kill the second twin. Right. The second twin. Did not effectively die, which leads to their argument as they're getting into the car. Because Zora wants to drive. drive. Zora argues that she should drive because she has the best kill count. Adelaide has to correct her that, in fact, she didn't kill the second twin. She had to go back and kill her again. Anyway, they're arguing back and forth about who's going to drive. And Zora is like, I can do anything I set my mind to. Call back to the first scene. Well, third scene. I don't remember. But the whole point is Zora gets in the driver's seat and drives. Yeah, Adelaide is trying to continue to argue about this, but Zora's uh, Umbra shows up down the road uh, ready to come kill them. Umbra jumps at the front window and tries to stab her scissors through the front window. And then she straight up like walks over the car. Like she like jumps on the car and walks over it. Like she's in fucking Akira. She's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. She's cool. But she gives off the energy of like your high school bully to me. Maybe that's just my own trauma. <laughs> it's like the the laughter and the and also the the terrifyingness because it's like I remember all the like mean girls coming up to me and be like, "We're your friend. Do the funny thing you do, and then you do it, and then they laugh at you, and you're like, do you like me or not?'" It's like, are you laughing at me or with me? Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting that they're defined like Zora is is the good one, and she is never happy. She doesn't smile. She's not excited about things. She is, you know, usually a looking down at her phone, looking like hmm, a teenager. teenager. Yeah, and then. You know, her Umbra, the bad one, is always smiling. Yeah. Very determined. Pluto and Abraham, like, read menace. She just looks disdainful. Like, she is looking down at you. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, when she's on top of the car. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they drive Umbra into a tree. 
essentially. They use the car to drive really fast and slam on brakes and she goes flying into a tree and Addie goes out to check on her and just watches her giggle to death. It's like mother's sympathy in that like you look like Zora or is this a I am one of you? Or I think that could have been her kid is the point. Like yeah, and that stayed down there. That would be her child. Yeah, it's it's a loaded thing because it's just like there is a sense of like, of course she's going to empathize with these people. She did exactly what they're wanting to do now. Yeah, yeah. but like she also has to save her new life, and so and it's actually really complicated. Isn't that what we do all the time when we make decisions to prioritize ourselves and our families over other people that we you don't immediately look. You want to like hurt someone to survive, but you. You're like, but, oh, what yeah, yeah. So it's one of my choices. My choices are I take advantage of the situation to my benefit and that happens to hurt someone else. You know, we just don't often have to look at the person that we are affecting. Like we don't have to yeah. stare deep into the eyes of somebody whose, I don't know, river has been polluted by my Coca-Cola addiction. We are Americans. So they get to the the boardwalk. It's a real massacre. Right? It's a real massacre. Just dead bodies everywhere. And the tethered are doing it. Hands across America. Real creepy. And they get they get tricked or trapped by Pluto, who sets them up to get blown up. But Jason figures out that Pluto is still tethered to him and walks him backwards into some fire, which is awful. That's rough. That's real For rough. Buddy. And then Jason gets kidnapped by Red. Addie runs after her. So she follows the rabbit down the rabbit hole, essentially, to get her boy back. Before we get too much further, I just realized that we talked about the boat, but we did talk about the flare gun. (laughs) All that's right. You didn't get a flare gun, did you? No, I didn't get a flare gun. Now I'm using the flare gun. Flare gun was not helpful. (laughs) Yeah, well, because we've seen so many movies where someone is propelled into space face by a fucking flare gun and when when he fires the flare gun the, it just goes and just shoots a flare about five feet onto the ground like, yeah. which is how flare gun work it's not like a rocket but other movies would have us believe that flare guns are like rockets yeah along like like quicksand is everywhere and dinosaurs have boobs Ooh. some dinosaurs do have boobs okay okay all right. <laughs> Just like chickens. So the, the mom leaves behind Gabe and Zora, who, who decide to camp out in an ambulance because Gabe is in bad shape. Zora runs off to go rescue Jason, goes you know back through the funhouse, beats the crap out of that owl. <laughs> it jumps out to scare her. That's right. And then uh, she looks at death oh. and she beats it up. She gets to Red and Red explains her grand plan she doesn't just want to kill adelaide she needs to make a statement that's what this hands across america has been all about like coming out making a statement she tells her that the dance was what set things apart is she did this incredible dance when Addie was learning to dance and the the other tethered saw this and they saw that she was special and they decided to start following her so she she orchestrated this whole plan to have everybody rise up and untether they could have just They could have just come out. They could have just left. Right. There was nothing holding them down, but she wanted them to have like mashing suits. <laughs> you know, like she <laughs> wanted it to be bots when they did. And she has succeeded in this. They dance, the two of them. And by dance, I mean fight. As in- Addie tries to hit her with the golf club and Red just keeps stepping out of the and, and slowly stabbing her to death. 
because they share the same mind so she can like read her opponent but she gets got and as she's dying red is finally red is strangled dying. again well um, yeah as red is dying she starts whistling itsy bitsy spider again and that sets addy off she chokes her viciously violently she starts screaming and laughing as you can see clearly that she is one of them underground people and you know who else can see it well i don't know if you can see it but jason is hiding in a small enclosed space and she opens the door to get him out after killing red and she's like oh baby it's okay it's okay and she's like tries to kind of put that mask back on yeah yeah they get out they get in the ambulance she's driving and he's staring at his mom like for the first time he's not really sure who this person is and we see the flashback of of her strangling the original Addie and putting her on just in case you were chaining her up and then she she looks over Jason Jason looks at her and pulls his mask down and then she laughs like Vincent Price and he goes because this is (laughs) (laughs) but the tether do stretch out across America and there's a bunch of I guess news helicopters or sure helicopters and fires and stuff going and on and the song that you researched at the end of me it's a play such an awesome song the flower the flower yeah the flower which is just the flower right yeah yeah, yeah. Well, what's it all about you were you were interested in this. i was it's uh mini ripperton are you all familiar with mini ripperton yeah I would listen to that song <laughs> if you don't know mini ripperton she's uh maya rudolph's mom and she just sings, loving you. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we won't, we won't try and do it. So it says, will somebody wear me to the fair? Will a lady pin me in her hair? Will a child find me by a stream? Ooh, kiss my petals, weave me through a dream. And then it talks about how inside everyone lives the seed of a flower. And if he looks with it, he finds beauty and power. And it's a very happy, happy sounding song. It's very, yeah. Lovely horses to California chorus. Yeah. For all these simple things and much more, a flower was born. It blooms to spread love and joy, faith and hope to people. Kind of like Hands Across America was supposed to. Yeah. And speaking of music, we have the, there is the orchestral version. Oh, was this it? creepy, I've got slowed down, I've got five on it is. Yeah, I've got five on it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's very, very creepy. Very good. But yeah, that is the end of the film. As they drive off and we see this, you know, line of people holding hands and red jumpsuits across the mountains. I was really like into the movie and stuff, but I am a little disappointed that like they build up all this interest and then red delivers like the largest like lore dump I've ever seen. And then as soon as I'm like, all right, let's go. The movie's over. So I'm just like, all right, I know that like either, either I missed the whole point of the movie or I read perfectly into it and it ended because like they really can't show the ending i perceived it as a parallel of like our society with like the working class and the elite that's yeah. how i saw it and uh, and i was like we obviously don't know how that's gonna turn out so really can't wrap it up without it being kind of like a escapism like uh, i don't know the word but like escapism is yeah it's all to rise up and kill at least one rich person each <laughs> yeah and place. so I was either like, this movie was either okay, or it was a call to action for the working class. <laughs> and I was oh, like, let's yeah. go. 
Well, I th- I think that there's there's really like some shining nuggets of truth there because you have this Hands Across America thing, which is this huge event that is supposed to change the world, you know? Yeah. And barely any of us remember of it. I mean, you know, it did not change the world. Like a bunch of people joined hands and that was, that was beautiful. But, you know, we still have these problems. Yeah. But I think that looks vaguely around. I think it goes into the fact that, like, if, like in this, I kind of cheated, like, cause I, I had seen other people talk about this, but they were talking about how, like, for example, some of the, like, fuck the police and like the twins who are wearing shirts that meant something like Black Flag, that meant something and it's just being appropriated into like modern day, like, everything's okay. So these are just relics of a, a more problematic time yeah like with the hands across america while we while it might seem like haha as us we're laughing because nothing was really solved when that happened a lot of people were like lulled into this mentality that racism is over and everything's great and we really don't have to acknowledge anything because we can just say it's over and yet the problem still is there and so it just kind of is is the same same thing where you start to learn about the the lore of the the shadow people where they were created by the government, I guess, probably, um, yeah. and then just abandoned. And instead of actually like doing something about them, like, I don't know, making them actual citizens, untethering them, you tethered them, you must know how to untether them, taking care of them. Hell, even the most realistic outcome, which would turn them into slaves, because we all know America, yeah. yeah, they just left them there as, as if out of sight, out of mind, there's no problem. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm going to show them how to cook those rabbits. Yeah. Go ahead. This is too clean. I'm like, something's still, someone's still involved because where are they getting the rabbits? Where are they getting like, who's maintaining this place? You know? I mean, the rabbits were just breeding freely. Well, the rabbits are breeding freely, but I didn't see any rabbit shit on those floors. We see yeah. them like kind of, they're doing the mirror images of what's going on. Like they have that whole sequence where everybody in the underground under the uh, boardwalk, I assume, are doing boardwalk things. Roller coasters. Yeah. The movie for me, has an issue where it goes into just enough detail about this world that I have more questions than right. answers. And then it it takes me out of the immersion. And then I'm just like, okay, but like, can you tell me a little more if you're going to throw me off the deep end into this? Yeah. Like, yeah. Be a little more mysterious or give me more answers. Yeah. I definitely think that the facility, the whole conceit of the facility could have used either. I think this is one of those things that there comes Please. a certain point where it's like, oh, this, this doesn't actually make sense. Uh, right. yeah. Because yeah. it's a metaphor. It's not supposed to make sense. It's exactly. It's supposed to yeah. stand in for another thing. Uh, so once you get deep enough into the, the metaphor of it you're like but it distracts you at a certain point leave it as a metaphor or give me the whole thing make it like this whole i want to know who's coming who's attending this thing like what who's they they made them but like is it the government what's the plan like yeah what's going on (laughs) and how did they get that facility to work so close to sea level and i also don't understand like how how is it like okay so they made these clones but they just put them in abandoned like these places that are supposedly abandoned but they're completely manicured it's just like i'm just like why did you tell me all this i just want to watch the movie i mean the only the explanation that i can think of is that there are some clones that are just really fastidious so i want everybody to have like their their chance to be like this is my big thing that i want to talk about from this movie but like i think my big thing that i want to talk about from this movie kind of ties into that we talked about it being, you know, a metaphor for class warfare. But I think very specifically, Jordan Peele does this thing in the movie where we see 
this ridiculous thing of these underground people mirroring what people above them are doing. And, you know, we're like, oh, that's so stupid. Why would they do that? That doesn't make sense. But then we also see this thing of our main family, particularly of Gabe, mirroring this richer white family. Yes. And like, yeah. he goes out and he buys a boat that he doesn't know how to work. He doesn't want it or need it. He just he gets it because the guy that he's mirroring has a nice boat. And it's so a he shitty also needs to have a boat. Yeah. yeah. He gets a shitty version of this. And I don't, I think we relate to that. We don't say that's stupid. Why would he buy a shitty boat? Because we are the tethered to these rich people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mirroring them in these stupid ways that don't make sense, buying things we don't need, acting in ways that are completely irrational because it's what we see other people doing. And it's this aspirational thing for us. So like, I think when we see these tethered people doing stuff and we're like, this doesn't make sense. You can then look at what you do in your own life and say, oh, that doesn't make sense either. Like, why? Yeah. Why would I do this? Like a rich person could look at your life and go, well, if they're like doing a job all the time and struggling to get by, how is their house? Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, to, to piggyback off of that as well, you just like, somebody you know how-, how to cook real food. You know? <laughs> like they do there's no ventilation uh, down there they can't put they can't make fire really from a can like what Why does somebody teach they can obviously get some props but not others hmm. well no because because there's no ventilation you see if they set something on fire there's gonna be smoke and then they'll die i don't know this i, this is <laughs> I mean i was gonna say like if we're all in this world for real and they are tethered of us we have no idea they exist first foremost and second we have no idea that our actions affect them in ways we could never imagine and so if we're going to talk about how like the tethered and us is parallel to us and the elite or rich people or whatever you want to put in that position is this also saying that like you know their actions bleeds down Mm -hmm. and sometimes they don't even know or wear or care or even sometimes even acknowledge lower class people or like people in other countries that are at the bottom of our capitalistic society. It's sort of like trickle down economics, but not yeah, special. But it's just in general, like, you know, where like a certain class of people tell another class of people what to do and they just do it without question because either they believe one day they'll be there or they just say, well, this is my place. Just like the tethered, like, who knows? We don't really know their culture because we're not a part of their society so they might even have something more complex than just being tethered and knowing and doing what we do uh which is probably why you know we can't explain the state of their tunnels and stuff like that yeah kind of like how we mimic celebrities because like we idolize them or like you know how like a lot of poor people voted for trump because Uh we kind of idolize seeing this wealthy person they're like if i do that then but additionally on top of it it's even like yeah what I say, like, even further is just, like, not even just, like, celebrity class, but, like, billionaires and stuff like that. Right. Like, it's, like, they are in a different world. Yeah. A different world. Yeah. You just, it's, like, peasant and king and queen. You look at the castle thinking, one day I'd love to be there. You're never going to be there. It's never going to happen because things have to have been so lucky for that to happen to you. And uh, the way that they make decisions, how they run their company, da, 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 that's our life. Our whole life will sometimes yeah. be a company and what they decide to do in the CEO's room. And you have no part of it, but it affects you to your core. Absolutely. And they don't even care. It is just 
the picture of the myth of the American dream and the myth of, of capitalism yeah. in America, for sure, because class is set up, the idea, class is an ideal, right? The, the rich and famous represent an ideal situation, but also yeah. to a lot of people because of this myth of of the quote unquote American dream where someone is every man and then they become super rich because they had an idea, yeah. you know? So we see, okay, well, those people are the su- successful people. So therefore I must do what they do without acknowledging all their dynasties and their, you know, stocks and all of the- Or even just the fact that like, okay, let's say you're born rich. Let's mm-hmm. say you have a daddy that tells you how to do the system. You still have to have a class of people to- to take advantage of yeah yeah so and, you you still have to take it like because one person can't do the work that is needed to become a billionaire you need to have the the productivity of thousands of people but even that even yeah even at that not being a billionaire you know yeah. being a mm, person who maybe has a thousand bucks in the bank i'm still living a life that does take advantage of other people Exactly. And still capitalizes off of other people. So it's like we're in this interesting space where we are both the ones underground and above ground. But that's why it's interesting because it keeps go. It keeps like mirroring like you've got like, okay, the top, top billionaires, then regular like Americans who just are getting by regular, regular Americans. (laughs) And then they get ahead uh, get by by taking advantage of people in other countries who have their labor outsourced right. to mm-hmm. you know get their materials and their food by people who are in the mines being right. murdered for yeah. stuff like that and so if we're using it into get into the us universe so we're just going to look at the regular americans because we don't see anything more than that regular americans the tethered and then i was kind of thinking uh, like reimagining the beginning i was like what if like I know that the rabbits serve as a food purpose, but they're caged and they have no choice and they're just there sure. to be eaten by the mm-hmm. tethered, you know, like they have, mm-hmm. they're slaves to that. So it just kind of keeps going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the duality of that, of those images, of those ideals, or I should say those, those ideas, I think is, is something that I've taken from this movie a lot outside of the class conversation. This is a, an analysis that I've also read elsewhere but there is this idea of the tethered being a reflection of the people to whom they are tethered as a a media cartoon right mm-hmm. so they are doing a, a kind of a routine that mm-hmm. is this distorted image of what these people are doing like the funhouse mirrors are distorted reflections exactly yeah. but then you also have these these expectations these stereotypes all incorporated with these versions of these characters and that has a lot more to do with identity as well as class you know being a being an inspiring dancer doing something inspiring being strong or fast or or clever and also you see it with especially with like for me with Tex and Dahlia they are kind of this weird cartoon honeymooners couple and then when the texas like acts he's acting just like this super douchey 50s husband so you have these ideals that are that are 
super horrible and toxic that are not just encompassed by the tethered, but affecting the people that they are tethered to as well, which yeah. is the stereotypes mm-hmm. that the society has associated with those people. It's like you know, pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And well, it's, you know, it's interesting too, what you were saying, because I remember like in the beginning where Zora was like complaining about running and she said, you can do anything to put your mind to. And yeah. That kind of ties back to that because obviously, yeah. Yeah. They talk about her running mm-hmm. and how, you know, she could be this amazing Olympic runner. And she's like, well, I don't really, I don't really want to be an Olympic runner. You know, I don't want that ideal. And then you have Umbra, who is this lethal killing machine that just does not tire, that is incredibly athletic, but is of called by her mother a monster we don't know where else that goes but you know we know that she's a monster and and she's also encompassing the ideals of what of the power of like the athlete so and also the toxic masculinity that Gabe is trying to affect when he's trying to take over and then Abraham is just this like beast it doesn't yeah. talk and it's just strong and, you know, literally like knocks someone over the head and carries them out of the house like a caveman. So, you know, that was that was a really interesting analysis. And I think that also the, the way that that interacts with class and expectation and the, the trickle down of image, I think is really fascinating. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. I think that's a really interesting take on it. So LGBTQIA representation in this movie. Uh-huh. None. None. Okay. None. Talked about race. Talked about class and this ability. Disability. Well, the the mental mental illness is talked about a lot in this, especially as the parents try to treat her quote unquote PTSD. And I I only put that in quotes because that's what they call it in the movie. And I'm certain that it is. But they they it's uh, not from what they think it is. Yeah, it's right. not from what exactly. And Addie's dad reacts by being like, "Well, she wasn't in Nam." You know, which resp- reflects how people saw PTSD so recently, yeah. and how some people still see still, PTSD. Yeah, yeah, because you know, when we think of PTSD, we think of it has to be a combat situation. Now, the way that she expresses her trauma that is pretty on the nose, I think, and by that I mean, you know, on target, because of how hyper vigilant she is, and how she is haunted by these coincidences and things like that and gabe certainly doesn't understand and at certain times he dismisses her her symptoms which is part of his character being trying to emulate this toxic masculinity and also just you know not understanding i felt like the representation of her process was handled really like it, it with a with a an admirable admirable amount of sensitivity which these things aren't usually presented with in movies like because we don't really know what happened to her and everybody is projecting around her that she's overreacting but we know for sure by the end of the movie that's part of the twist is that she is absolutely not and either they, adelaide or red neither of them are overreacting it's just that the people outside in their world don't know either of their trauma exactly yeah it's a matter of perspective and then, of course, there's the look at ability that Morgan pointed out earlier with choosing a characteristic trait of a disability to emulate as monstrous. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, that that was not great. Yeah, of course, exactly. then when you discover that she's not the monster, 
that is also reflected in Pluto to some extent. Who, you know, yeah. I think, you know, mm-hmm. his his burns are supposed to be monstrous, but also I guess him setting fires is what makes them monstrous. And that- wait, the whole time when he was flicking that like thing, and it was supposed to like let off sparks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that mean that the whole time Pluto was actually having to like just light matches over and over again? think so and i think that's how he got burned which it goes into the whole theory of like the way that we affected the people below in ways you never could have seen you literally melted this kid's face off and you didn't even know it you know what i mean just playing with this toy okay Mm -hmm. sorry that just occurred to me i mean you could very easily relate that to guns right like you know this is a this is somebody playing with a toy gun or you know them playing with a gun in a movie or something like that and you know this is Pluto is a kid with a real gun who's really getting hurt, you know, yeah. by yeah. by this reflection he's doing. So, Morgan, you were going to say something about race. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just that one of the things I liked about this movie is that it's a horror movie with a Black family that is not about racial trauma. Yeah. Yep. And I feel like so often Black experiences are reduced to racial trauma. I joke that, like, the only Black books I could find when I was a kid were about sports segregation or slavery like the only book sometimes yeah. about sports and segregation remember the titans yeah <laughs> or sports like, slavery that movie was just about a white woman feeling good about herself we all know yeah that. and like what's that the blind sign by racial but i just want like a wizard book about what that has black people in it yeah like, like yeah and I, I think it doesn't always have to be their trauma yeah for i think this really illustrates why it's important to have black people behind the camera telling these stories and those two and that you have jordan peele making of this movie and well this movie has some tangential race stuff it is not specifically about race but it is undeniably black like yeah from from the casting to the like i don't think there are Aside from the Beach Boys, any white artists in the soundtrack for this movie? And the Beach Boys is very intentional where it's placed. And it's just, it's so nice and like refreshing to see that. And I was just going to say, like, with how you said it's undeniably black, it made me think about like tropes of black people in horror movies and how they're just like, would not be in a horror movie because they're just like, no, I'm not dumb and I'm not so <laughs> sure of myself that I'm not going to get killed. And he was the <laughs> best. Yeah, she makes her daughter put her shoes on. She's like, I we are not doing anything stupid. Like, throughout well, the cops, first sequence, thing, like, throughout the entire sequence from where they start at the driveway to where they're talking in the living room, she just keeps calling him out every time. She's like, No, don't do that. Don't do what that. Like, what do you want? I was gonna say about that is, is the husband. Like, he wants so badly to be, like, a carefree dude who just got money and just enjoying life that he was, like, falling into the tropes of white people in horror movies where it's just like, I'm going to go talk to them. Yeah. Meanwhile, Addie's like, do you see yourself? <laughs> a little bit of that is toxic masculinity, too. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, I mean, it's that's... Like, I'll handle like, But I guess what I mean by that is, like, the the people in power are just, like, all these ideas of normality, which is cis, straight, masculine, da-da-da-da-da. So it's like he's trying to be this idealistic person, like, and what that means in society is what we already know. And so, like, what that is is just, like, this, I'm not actually in danger. Like, I just have to, like, 
poke my chest out and and be an alpha and it's just like and then he's just like oh wait a second we're in a horror movie huh like, I know. <laughs> it's great to see that and i like that jordan peele made this movie that was about race with get out and racism and then he's like okay i'm not going to do that again but i'm still going to tell a black story i'm going to do something different now so it, it's not like repeating yeah i mean there's still it- the aspect of yeah. intersectionality so it's like it's oh, still about it and you know their their story is very specific it would be this whole movie would still be different if it were a white family in a position so it's like, exactly it's still an important element but not in the same way right and it's not like it's not about their racial they they address trauma but it's not racial trauma. yeah which is is nice because like obviously we have more trauma than just like dealing with racism I knew they. Oh, were that's a big part of it. I knew they yeah. were portraying a stereotypical black family when they went to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, but see, yeah. that's kind of nice too that they're not like relying on stereotypes. Like exactly, we get to see them going to therapy and stuff like that. I think this this ties into what you're saying, but I think it crosses over sort of into the the feminism question of it as well. Mm-hmm. In that this is a this is a movie with a horror movie the female main character who is not a final girl like she is not right. in a slash a surviving woman running around half naked half the time you know yeah she is, she is a person who is like i mean whether she's good or bad in this she's unquestionably like the hero of the story there's yeah. a point where she is like not in control and i mean there's there's literally that point yeah. where like they're in the the, the tyler's house and and her husband is like no we're gonna stay here that's final and she says you're not making the decisions anymore like yeah that's not what's happening and you know she just she's like this this is what's coming down yeah yeah i i, I think she's been preparing for this for years all right y'all don't know <laughs> like Listen, when you know it's coming down a pike you're like doing your cardio you're working on your feet plan like, He's like, I've gone over this. I've speed ran this exact scenario in my fucking head multiple times. You don't get to tell me how to play the game. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they could have easily made this movie or a very similar one with, you know, Winston Duke or whoever, you know, in, in the male lead being the, you know, being the young boy who went to the thing, you know, telling this whole story from a male perspective, but they didn't. And, you know, I, yeah. I think they did it very well. Yeah. Yeah. Robin Mean Boltman, she's the one the author of Foreign Noir. She actually called that role for black women the surviving woman rather than the final girl. And I think that's what Adelaide is. She's a surviving woman. She's also a lot more in control than these five. Like as Jeremy said, usually final girls are just surviving by the skin of her teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and in this case, she's a lot more in control. And it is, you know, between her and Red, the, the control there shifts a little bit, but it's not the same kind of desperate situation as the slashers of, you know, quote unquote, final girl slashers would be. She's yeah. just very competent. The character is a competent character. Like she's not just yeah. like, oh, I just tripped into surviving, like you yeah. said, or, or like, used others deaths to pre- like put herself at the end you know what i mean like just got lucky i think my like favorite you know like my favorite part about the role is simply the fact that it's like it wasn't written for a woman it was written for a character and then they yeah. just 
put a blanket. It's like, it's I, like I don't Ridley like and aliens. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I don't like roles where it's just like, and it's a woman. You can tell because boobies. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? You ready to do some recommendations? Well, yeah, I think uh, it's fair to say we all think people should watch this movie, right? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Let's get some recommendations going. Morgan, what have you got? It cost us Candyman, the Candyman. It's well, good to watch the old one and the new one, and you can compare and contrast them. And I'm actually writing a paper about that right now. I'm excited to read it. Brie, what have you got? So I was just thinking because we were talking about like seeing yourself in in stuff, and you know sometimes you see representation that or you relate to characters or things that other people might not see. It really it was like perfect because I'm working on a graphic novel called North Ranger right now. And it's about a Mexican-American young man who is obsessed with horror movies because, and he's gay, so he sees himself in those roles of the monster, which is just, which is so perfect. And, uh, you know, I'm working on it. So it is uh, Black representation. And, and the writer is Rex Ogle, who is uh, Latin American. And I hope you pick it up when it comes out. I know this is kind of like a self-insert, but it was just appropriate. Oh, we were talking about Surviving Women versus Final Girls. Uh, you're next. If you've never seen your next is a mm. lot of fun. It's a good one where you're like, okay, good for her. <laughs> so check it out. Alicia. Uh, go read Frankenstein. Go read Frankenstein. Not watch it. Don't watch any oh. of those movies. None of them. Scary words. <laughs> go find the audiobook and listen to you, Frankenstein. Yeah, you can listen to it while you oh, yeah. If you have a library card, there is a Libby is an app. Uh, yes. that you can connect to it and you yeah. can you know borrow those books so borrow frankenstein and that's that's my recommendation well can i recommend two things okay. i never know that anymore <laughs> okay one is lovecraft country the book or the series uh, yes well the series the series in particular because the whole sequence with the young girl character and the curse that is on her that's that attacks her identity it was very similar to the uh, the distorted reflection motif of this movie nice. uh, the other movie is really tangential and that is king of hearts 1966 this is a a movie about an insane asylum takes over a town like the, the the people in an insane, insane asylum take over a town that has been evacuated in world war ii germany because there's a german bomb in there and so all of the the folks who have been basically like kept in the asylum are abandoned and then they come out and start sort of pantomiming the life of the town and it's very it's sort of like a more lighthearted version of these kind of tethered characters who are trying to emulate what they think is the normal life of the people that they're replacing and then there's a british officer that goes in and is trying to like this dis- dis- what is it do the thing where the bomb don't work no more. Disarm. Disarm the bomb. <laughs> Thank you. I'm tired. It's good. We love yeah. hearing you. <laughs> but it's, thank you. But the the movie is is really interesting. It's not necessarily great representation of mental illness or anything like that, but it does have a lot to say about people adapting and the distorted reflection it's more of a comedy but it's still a very interesting movie so check it out king of hearts year 1966 is when it came out so i 
I went back and forth on what I was going to recommend a lot on this. My first inclination was to recommend A Blade So Black, which I have recently read and has that same sort of thing that Us does is that it's like, what? You found a loophole. We were like, oh, I recommend one thing. Emily is like, oh, can I recommend two? And you're like, well, first I was going to recommend this one thing. Well, I was going to say, I've already recommended this before. Oh, okay. Uh, Great. It is. Butting back out. Yeah, it's. It, you know, it is a book that has like some traditional wonderland tropes and stuff, things you've seen places, but it, by being written by a black author and having a black main character in this story, it is able to do a lot of, you know, unique and original things in sort of the same way us does. But I have recommended this book before uh, on this podcast. So I'm going to recommend something that is completely unrelated, but we also just happened to watch the other day which is Apple TV recently made an adaptation of El Defo, C.C. Bell's graphic novel, which is about her life of, you know, as a, as a child becoming hard of hearing and, and deaf and, you know, going through having all these complex 80s hearing aids with battery packs and things like that and just dealing with going through all of this. And they do something really incredible in the first episode of this, which is when she loses her hearing, the sound of the of the show changes entirely like it's an animated show but like she, you are hearing things as she is hearing them her voice and other people's voices so you get this like really muffled, muffled distorted they don't really like handhold it for kids where like you know what the person is saying but the you know the character doesn't like they really drive home no like no, like no subtitles like and stuff yeah yeah, our kids were getting frustrated. They were like, "I don't know what they're saying," and it's like, "Yep, yeah, that's there you go. That's what she's that's feeling." Cool. And yeah, this was Zuri's favorite graphic novel. I think it was the first one that she really picked up and read herself. And she said that she was just so glad that they had adapted it to a television. Wow. Series. Yeah, it was it was really interesting to watch because I found myself also getting frustrated with like the the way things sounded as you're watching. You pick up that like the voices are getting a little more clear and a little better as things go on as she learns to lip read you know you understand a little bit better what people are saying but they very clearly demonstrate like when somebody is looking at her you can understand what they're saying but when they're talking and chewing or talking and looking away or something like it is again difficult to understand them uh, in the same way it is for her and I, I think like this is like the graphic novel is great and the you know, the animation, the show itself is great, but I think it is such an interesting exercise in empathy for kids to like be able to, or to have to experience this the same way she is experiencing it. To yeah. do like this, something that you couldn't get across in a graphic novel, right? Like what it's yeah, actually. I was just about to ask, how did they do it? Like. Just blank panels in the graphic novel? Yeah. With and, no dialogue? Yeah, it would have no dialogue or it would have like this word and that word that she would catch and, you know, that was it. Or she would mix words up like, you know, somebody might say That's... lollipop and, you know, or actually be saying lollipop and like in the text, you know, it says a different word and it gotcha. doesn't, she's like, that doesn't make sense. But I think it's also really sometimes when you see adaptations go from the book to the screen, they do their best to just take the book and put it on the screen. And I think that this one really uses the medium. Yeah, that's the yeah. important part. Like they so so few actually use the medium and bring what what was the point of you bringing it right to the to the screen? screen? Now make that clear. 
There you like, go. You're not just making a TV version. You you want to add something to it. And that's what El Defo does. That was a good recommendation. Yeah. 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 While we're talking about you know putting yourself in other people's shoes, I think you know it's just a great job of that. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by me, Alicia Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy Whitley, Emily Martin, Bree Indigo, Emmanuel Lipscomb, and Morgan. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Thanks for listening.